0: We oh, turn to Genesis 41 Genesis 41. we're in a teaching series called "Just Ask Joseph." And what this series is about is navigating the ups and downs of life, and, uh, and we've determined that other than Jesus, there's really no one better to ask than Joseph because of his story. And and you'll notice, and we'll do the same thing tonight, that we're not reading every word of this story because it's really long and it would take a ton of time. So hopefully you've been reading through um, the story of Joseph there in Genesis um, in the late 30s and, and early 40s <laughs> um, and, and through mid-40s, actually. And um, so let's dive in. Um, I want to begin reading a portion of it tonight. And it's going to be... Um, genesis 41 in verse 38 it says this is chapter 41 verse 38 says then pharaoh said to his servants can we find a man like this in whom a divine spirit exists or is inside remember we talked about how that that's talking about the spirit of god So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one to discern and is as wise as you are. You shall be over my house and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. All people will honor you. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Did you hear that? Only in the throne, only the fact that I'm Pharaoh, will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments and fine linens and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. In other words, everybody was saying, bow down to Joseph. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, Yet without your permission, no one shall even raise his hand or foot in all of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph, gave him a new name, zaphnath Panea, or something like that. And he gave him Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Verse 46 says, now Joseph was 30 years old old when he stood before Pharaoh. If you'll remember, his story starts when he was 17. So we're 13 years into this. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Check it out. Do his job. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundance. So he gathered all the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food of its uh, from its Surrounding fields. Then Joseph stored up grain in abundance, like the sands of the sea, until he stopped measuring it. They stopped counting it, for it was beyond measure. If you keep reading in verses fifty through fifty-seven, this next session uh, section, it says that Joseph and Potipharah had two sons. Ephraim and Manasseh. That might be some familiar names to you. I don't have time to to tell you the significance of who they end up being. But you can study that out. Ephraim and Manasseh. And then it also tells you that seven years of plenty were over. And that the seven years of famine began to come. Okay. And if you read in verse 57, 41, 57, it says that the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the land. In other words, everyone, get this picture, everyone. At this point, there is no one who is not looking to Joseph. Not just in Egypt, it has extended out to all the lands. And if you know how uh, powerful Egypt was, you know the extent of their, uh, of their rule, their reign. But more than that, people just heard Egypt is the only one with food. They were coming from everywhere. If you dive into Genesis 42, it says that Jacob, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph's dad, Jacob, says to his sons, what are you guys standing around for? They got food down in Egypt. Go down there and buy some. I think that is a humorous thing. What are you standing around looking at? Joseph, uh, Jacob's a funny guy. Jacob sends his son down to Egypt to buy food. In verse 6, 42 verse 6, it says, now listen, this is going to be important later. Joseph was the ruler over all the land, and he was the one who sold all the grain to the people of the lands. He's the one that did it. He was personally there for every sack of grain that went out. Put that on the shelf. We're going to need it later. It also tells us that his brothers came down, and we see his brothers bow down to him. Um, It says that Joseph, at that moment, Joseph recognizes his brothers, but his brothers didn't recognize him. And in that moment, when his brothers are bowing down, verse 9 of chapter 42, it says that Joseph remembered the dreams which he had had about them. I want to pause right here because I have some specific things that I want to share with you next week about this encounter that he has with his brothers. And so I'm only diving this far into chapter 42 to to make one of the points that I'm going to make a little bit later. Really quick, before we look more into that, I want you to turn to Psalm 105. I want you to turn there because I want you to mark it in your Bible. As you're studying, you need to see this. It's this quick little excerpt that we see in the middle of the Psalms about Joseph. And it starts in verse 16. Psalm 105 verse 16. And it really starts kind of talking about the situation a little earlier. But in 16, you can see what's going on. It says, you guys there? Psalm 105 verse 16 says, And he called for a famine upon the land. God called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. That's just a way of saying that there was no food. And he sent a man before them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they afflicted his feet with fetters. Let it be known that through the ages, everybody knew the turmoil that Joseph went through, okay? They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. In other words, he was in prison. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Let me say that part again. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. When you see Pharaoh put his ring on Joseph. When you see Joseph get those nice pretty linen clothes. When you see Pharaoh put the gold necklace. Now you got to get this. It's like Pharaoh did this. It was Pharaoh. It was on Pharaoh. Pharaoh took this stuff off. Now, I don't know where he got the clothes. I'm assuming Pharaoh didn't take off his clothes. But they got him somewhere. Go get some clothes. Okay? He was allowed to ride in the second chariot. That means that the second command, it was his chariot. See, you? this is Joseph's now. Everyone bowed the knee. Everyone around bowed down to Joseph. They gave him a new name, which basically means God speaks to this guy. that's what his name means now I want you to hear all this God speaks to this guy this is his name from here thus forward you shall be known as God speaks to this dude and then he was given the daughter of a prestigious man as a wife which means that he instantly had social status okay and all this transpired in what half an hour I mean, really, how long does it take for Joseph to interpret a couple of dreams, for them to go get some clothes to put on him, for them to repo the chariot from this old second command? How long does it take? Maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour. We can push it to an hour. Just like that, Joseph went from being a wretched, imprisoned slave from the smallest nation in the land, Israel, to being a royal ruler of the largest and most significant nation in the world at that time. It would be very easy to think that the time of his word had come to pass. Can I ask you a question? Of all the things that we just read and just restated that was given to him on the day that he was made second in command. How many of those things were in his dream? Not one. As great as they were, none of those things were in his dream. His dream was that his family would bow down before him. Joseph was given power, but not yet the promise. What Joseph was experiencing was another level of being faithful and a little be entrusted with much. We've talked about that a ton. I don't want to go into it. But he was faithful in the prison to interpret those dreams for these guys. And because of that, he was entrusted with much. And so what you could say is right here in this moment, Joseph is experiencing what most of us would simply call success. Okay, and that's the title of my sermon tonight, success. Write that down, success. So far, we've seen Joseph... Hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison. And these things will definitely test the faith and the faithfulness of a man, right? Because lesser lesser men have been destroyed by those kinds of things, those kinds of trials, those kinds of tribulation. Those kinds of things can make a man turn from God. Forget God altogether. But let me tell you something. Nothing tests a man like success nothing will test you like success. We cry out for success. We cry out for the promotion. We cry out for more. We want more. But let me tell you that there's nothing that can destroy a man like that very promotion that we're praying for. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask because he's trying to protect us. He won't give us stuff until we're ready for it. You guys know I like to give... um, a sermon in a sentence. And for this series, we've been doing a sermon and a question. And so the question that we want to ask Joseph tonight is how do you survive success? How do you survive success? Sounds like a, a strange question. How do you survive? Are you kidding me? That's all, I'm, that's all I dream of is success. But remember what we said, nothing will destroy a man like success. So how do you survive success? And again, there's no one better to ask than Joseph because the dude got the ring. He got the girl. He got the car, man. He got it all. Isn't it interesting the things that he he got the ring? He got the clothes. He got the jewelry. He got the car. People were saying, bow down to Joe. I mean, is there anything that he didn't get that we don't somehow in our heart desire as well? He got it all. I think it's, it's amazing. He got the girl, you know. I think if you would ask Joseph, how do you survive success? How do you make it on the other side of success without being destroyed? First thing he would tell you is keep your confidence in Christ. Keep your confidence in Christ. Now this is probably the most internal thing that you can, we'll start with this because it is the most internal thing because our confidence is something that's deep within us. If we have confidence or if we have fear and insecurity, either one of those are deep inside of us. They will manifest. They will show themselves on the outside. But this is a deep in your heart thing. It starts deep in. And, and, and I think Joseph would tell you, keep your confidence in Christ. And I want to go back to something that he said in chapter 41, verse 16, when Pharaoh said, I've heard that you can interpret my dreams. And remember what Joseph said. He said, it is not in me. It's not in me. I think it was the NLT version, New Living Translation version, that says, says it this way. It is not in my power. It is not within my power to interpret these dreams. He says, God will give Pharaoh. And you've got you to remember, when he said God, he knew he was Hebrew. And instantly, Pharaoh knew that he was talking about the God of this tiny little nation of Hebrews. And you, Pharaoh had to have been like <laughs> okay, but nevertheless, he said, it isn't in me. It is God that will show you these dreams. And it's almost like what Joseph had in his heart way back before the city of Philippi probably even existed was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can interpret this dream, but only because Christ is in me. I can do all things through Christ who is in me. Keep your confidence in Christ. Listen to me. The moment that we somehow place our confidence in ourselves, in our abilities, in our giftings, we have, we've crossed over from humility into pride. And we know what scripture tells us about pride. I mean, I couldn't even, I had to pick and choose which ones to, to show you. Because there's so much. The the this whole thing that we're having to deal with started with the pride of Lucifer, the fall of man. It all I mean it all results in pride. James 4, he talks about it a lot. And I love this. He says this is where he says we talks about a greater grace. Talks about grace in Scripture, but James said there's a greater grace. There is a greater grace. You want grace? There's grace, but then there's a greater grace. Then he says, therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Most of us are familiar with it. We don't really know what it means, though. We downplay it. You need to understand that when it says God opposes the proud, the picture that that phraseology and that uh, language means is God puts himself in a three-point stance against you. You football fans are like, oh, awesome. Unless you're the one with the pride, then that's not cool, right? God opposes the proud. He says, just try to get through. You try to get across the line. But he says he gives grace to the humble. Think of that picture. Uh, Oh, you're humble? Well, come on through. He gives grace to the humble. But if you are prideful and somehow you think that you've done this in and of yourself, your self-confidence, not that self-confidence is a bad thing, but you guys hear what I'm saying. says that he will set himself up against you nothing will get through not your prayers not your desires and certainly not your dreams keep your confidence in Christ it goes on in James to say humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you he will exalt you that's what he did to Joseph because Joseph stayed humble throughout the whole thing and God kept lifting him kept lifting up even when he was in prison even when he was in the pit God was in the process of lifting him up Proverbs, just a couple of Proverbs, and Proverbs hits on this all the time, so I'll just give you two, I promise. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Some of you memorized it like this, pride goeth before a fall. You want to fall? Be filled with pride. That's a sure way to end in destruction. Remember what we said that nothing destroys a man like success. Why? Because success can lead to pride. Somehow we, we, we got to this place. We got this promotion. We got this thing. We got this money. We got this car. We got whatever it is. And we think somehow that we are the one that brought it. And granted, we are in partnership with God. God's not just saying, hey, here's this stuff. We work and we earn money and we got our degrees. I understand that. But, but in the end, isn't it Christ who gives us strength? If we were able to pass that test, it was because the Lord allowed us to. Maybe that seems hyper-spiritual, but I'm just, I'm picking up what Joseph is laying down. Keep your confidence in Christ. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit, thinking you're more than you are, comes before stumbling. And I want to read this in Isaiah really quick, too. The pride, this is Isaiah two seventeen. The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be abased. Or will be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. (laughs) Now let me ask you a question. Which would be better? To exalt God every day with a humble heart and walk in his grace and strength. Or walk in pride, be brought low, be abased. And the Lord gets glorified and exalted anyway. Uh, I think I'll take option number one. I'm just going to exalt him every day. If in the end he's going to be exalted anyway. I think I will, I will team up with him and stay on the, you know, team humble. We'll call it team humble, okay? I'm, I'm just gonna be a little vulnerable here and tell you this is my number one struggle. Pride. I just struggle really intensely with pride. other things I struggle with too but nothing like pride the other day I was had some time I was in line that big long line over there on 31 where they're redoing the road and so I was in my car and I was deleting um, I was trying to free up space on my phone you guys do the same thing and I have a ton of space in my voice memos because there's a lot of times where I'm driving or I'm running or walking, cooling down or whatever, that the Lord will speak to me and even sermons and I'll push record and I'll start preaching. A lot of the sermons that you hear start out <laughs> on my voice memo recorder. And so I'll go back to my office and write everything down that I said. So I was deleting. I mean, I mean, there is probably hours of stuff on there, honestly. And I came down to the end of it. And there was a few things specifically that I had saved. Things that M. Kate had sang. And, and uh, you know what I mean. Stuff that you save. And I came to this one that was labeled Pride. I was like, oh, what is that? Is this a, is this a song that I wrote? Because you know, you songwriters, you write songs that way too. Because you want to remember it, right? And so I was like, what is this? And it was from 2014. And that's how far back it went. I was like, what is it? And so I started listening to it. And it was me reading a list of scriptures about pride. And I remembered how intensely I was struggling with pride at the time. And I was like, God, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. And so I gathered all the scriptures I could. And there were a bunch of them. And just started reading them so that I could listen to them over and over. And there for a while I did. But you know how it is. You fall off the train, right? And pride creeps in. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Pride. If you struggle with pride, here's a scripture that you can cling to. Because Jesus says it all. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. First thing that Joseph had deep in his heart was the fact that apart from God, he could do nothing. And the reason he was able to bear fruit is because it's not in me. It's Christ in me. That was in his heart. The second thing I think that he would tell you is boast only in his blessing. I want you to hear me. Boast only in his blessings. If you're like me and you got a big mouth and stuff just comes out and you wish you could take it back or you say things that get you in trouble, whatever. Boast only in his blessing. And this is more of an external thing and it really comes from that internal self-sufficiency that we just talked about. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 17, it says, beware. Y'all listening? Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power is. And the power of my hands have gotten me this wealth. Of course, you can you can substitute wealth with success, right? Most of us equate that together anyway. How easily it would have been for Joseph to think that it was his gift of dreams of interpretation, or interpretation of dreams, however you say that. The gift of interpreting dreams is what got him to that place, that place of success. I mean, think about it. Every time they said his name, it was declared, you'd be hearing from God. How do you go all that time hearing that every time they say your name, it means you to man? You guys see that? It's what's implied every time they would say his name. I love it because what Joseph did to keep God's work in front of him. Look at verse Fifty-one of chapter 41. It's right there. This is when he and Potiphar have some sons. And if you know anything about those ancient cultures, your name was everything. And you put everything you had into naming your kid because it meant something. And you can see that all over scripture. And so what I love about what Joseph did is what he named his sons. One of them was Manasseh. God has made me forget my trouble. God, not my gift, my God. Do you see that? In naming his son, he was boasting in God's blessing. And then his second son comes along. You'd think, you know, sometimes your second one comes along and you forget how to do stuff and he lacks a little bit. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? He didn't lax at all. Still intended to boast only in God's blessing, Ephraim, his second son, his name means, "God has made me fruit. Uh, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction." His very son's name, he named it on purpose, and I believe it's because he's like, "I, I don't ever want to be lofty minded. I don't ever want to be boasting anything except for me. You know, Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some boast in chariots. Some boast in horses. And he had both of them. (laughs) You know what I mean? He could have totally, he's like, they wrote this about me. No. He said, some boast, well, he doesn't say this, but the psalmist says, some boast in chariots. Maybe even David's looking back, the psalmist looking back and saying, Joseph could have boasted in chariots. He could have boasted in his horses and in his name or in his wife or his ring and his necklace and his fine clothes and his position and the fact that he saved the world. Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 34 verse 2 says, I will boast only in the Lord. In the New Testament, Paul says in Galatians 6, may it never be that I would boast. Except if I were to boast in the cross of Christ. If I'm going to boast, it will be only in Christ. Boasting only. That's what Joseph would tell you. If you're going to boast, you point to Jesus. It's okay to boast, but boast in Christ and what he has done. Amen? The third thing is, reject anything unrighteous. And I'll try to move through these because I talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I've got two more. Reject anything unrighteous. This is internal and external. Unrighteousness in your head, unrighteousness in your hands. Reject anything. If you look at Genesis 45, and this is way further ahead. You can turn there if you want. Verse 6, it tells us that at the time where he encountered his brothers, I need you to hear this. If you read it, he tells his brothers, we are two years into the famine, and we have five years left of this famine. Go get my father and the family and bring them down here. You guys will be okay. So he tells us that they're two years into it, and that they have five more years. Well, if you do the math, there were seven years of abundance, Right? And then there were two years into the famine, the day that his brothers, he encountered his brothers. How many years is that? That's nine years. I want you to think about it. For nine years of being successful, being called the man, having these things, for nine years of being successful. I mean, the second in command. I mean, people were saying, we can't even count all this grain. Look what Joseph has done. For nine years, he did not fail He did not falter. He rejected anything right unrighteous, and we know that from his encounter with uh, Potiphar's wife. He rejected unrighteousness. Most people—I was thinking about this—and I'm going to tell you a quick little story. But most people will give themselves permission to sin when they are successful. It's weird. It's weird. It's like we're trying to balance it out or something. You guys know what I'm talking about when you're successful, you kind of feel like, man, I've earned some brownie points. I'm in the positive. Let me bring my account back down to zero, right? And we'll sin. We'll do that old, that old sin that, you know, that old iniquity or that old whatever. I was ministering to a a kid in the, in the um, um, school of worship that I directed years ago. And and uh, he and I were really close and I was discipling him and, and he, um, one of his struggles was pornography. He had struggled with it since he was like you know, 10 or 12 and, and uh, he, was, he was free from it for a couple of years. I mean, not looking at anything, not doing anything of the sorts and, and it was awesome. And one day he comes to me and he says, man, I gotta I gotta confess, I, I've been struggling with pornography again. I'm like, dude, I thought you were two years removed from that. What's up? He's like, I don't know, I, I don't know. And then I was like, When did this start? And he told me exactly when it started. It was the day after that band, his band, played in their first Teen Mania Acquire the Fire. They're in front of thousands of kids, thousands of teenagers. And we talked about how, you know what? Sometimes when you're successful, you give yourself permission to sin. You know what? Joseph never did that. He didn't. He rejected any unrighteousness. And we know that he did. Otherwise, he would not have stayed in God's favor. Proverbs 3, verse 3 and 4 says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Don't focus on the worldly necklace that's put around your neck. Bind righteousness and loving kindness and faithfulness around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success. In the sight of the Lord and with man. Does that sound like Joseph? Joseph was a man that rejected anything unrighteous. Psalm 119. How can a young man or a young girl or an old man or an old girl keep his ways pure? It says, by living it, by living according to his word, to the word of God. It's interesting that in Psalm 105 it says, until the time that his word came to pass... The word of the Lord tested him. That word tested means purified. Not just test like, are you going to do it? You're not going to know it. It refined him. It purified Joseph. I want to look at this fourth one. And I want to show you how I think he was able to reject the unrighteousness. He knew his success and the power um, was, not in the, was not in the success, but was in the fulfillment of his dream. The, the third thing is this fight not to forget. I'm just going to say it like that fight this is the fourth thing fight not to forget fight not to forget where you came from some of you you're rolling in the dough or you're rolling in the success or whatever you forget that you used to eat ramen every night for five years while you were doing whatever don't forget what you came from you used to be poor don't forget where you came from you guys hear what i'm saying how easy it is to forget don't forget how you got what you got. I can do nothing except through Christ who strengthens me. But listen to me, also, do not forget your dream. This goes all the way back to week one, where we talked about vision, how God will download vision for your life. You guys listening to me? This is important because God has given many of you vision, dreams, um, a sense of purpose a sense of destiny, a calling. You can say it that way. God called you at a young age. He, he spoke to you at a, uh, you know, when you were in your early 20s or whatever. Hang on to that. Do not forget that. If you look in Genesis verse 42, um, chapter 42, verse 9, when his brothers were standing there or really bowing down before him, it says that Joseph remembered the dream, the dreams which he had about them, about his brothers. Now, I want to I I show you something. Joseph remembered the dreams. He remembered the dreams, but I personally don't think that that's the first time he remembered or recalled the dreams. Listen to me carefully. Joseph knew that the signet ring, that the clothes, that the necklace, the cherry red chariot, the girl, the fame, the social status. He knew that those things were not the fulfillment of the dream. He knew that. He knew that. I believe that he kept this dream in front of him like we talked about in week one. We talked about that. And here's why. Remember we said that Joseph was the ruler over all the land and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. Think about this. Think about this. The second in command of all of Egypt, the most powerful nation of the world. The guy who got the second chariot was out there selling bags of grain. I mean, do we see anywhere in Joseph's makeup throughout this series that he had a control issue? (laughs) Do we see that? No. Do you think he was micromanaging? Say, no, no, give them a penny back. Do you see that? Why in the world would he be the one selling that grain? Why? Because he was always remembering the dream. Joseph was a bright guy. He saw what God had did. He saw what God had done. (laughs) What God had done did. I believe Joseph was waiting knowing that one of these days my brothers from my hometown if they're starving over there 10 miles, 20 miles, 100 miles then you know they're starving over there 10, 20, 100 miles my brothers will come and this dream will be fulfilled I think Joseph was saying I don't care anything about the chariots or the necklaces that's just stuff That's just stuff. But what I am concerned about is the dream that God gave me. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we talk about the relationship with his brothers from here on out. But I believe Joseph would tell you, do not forget. Fight not to forget. Because if you forget what God has called you to, We've all been called according to his plans and his purposes. Some of us know more clearly and distinctively than others because we sought the Lord or, or whatever. Some of you are new in the faith and you're just now even hearing that there is a plan and a purpose for your life. But once you know, fight not to forget. Because it will be one of the things that keeps you from being destroyed in success. If Joseph had not had his brother, that dream about his brothers in mind, he could have went off the deep end. It all could have went to his head. He could have thought, this ring, this necklace, this chariot is the fulfillment. Because think about it. The day that he got that ring, the day that he got that necklace, the day that he got that chariot, he could have ridden that chariot on down to his brother's house and said, see, bow down. But he didn't. He waited. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why he waited next week. But look at that. He didn't do that. There was no pride. No self-sufficiency. Nothing that indicated that he was caught up in success. Let's stand. I want to end with this verse. Psalm 106 this is talking about the people of Egypt. I'm sorry, the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. It says, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Let me read that again. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. This is the New Living Translation. I believe it's the NAS and the ESV and several others that say, they did not wait for his counsel. I want to encourage everyone tonight, no matter, if you, if you, no matter what your situation is, you may feel like you're so far from success that this doesn't even apply. No, it applies because at some point, if you are faithful in the little, you will be entrusted with more. And as soon as you are, you will have temptations to fight. And I'm telling you right now, they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold if you forget, you will finish out the plan. You will take your own counsel and take things into your own hand. And you will head yourself and your chariot down to Canaan. And you will tell your brothers to bow down. You guys know what I'm saying, right? Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you were always with us when we are down. Or even when we are on the top of the mountain, you were with us. And Lord, we say that without you in both of those places, we would be destroyed. Thank you for your word that says you will never leave, you will never forsake us. We love you, Lord. Help us, help us to to, um, to not forget what you've done. Lord, we say that tonight we want to be people that wait on your plan to unfold. We pray these things in Jesus' name.